0: Good evening, church. Awesome. Are you cool? (laughs) Could you please stand as we read God's word? We are today talking about the word, and we're going to give honor to the word. Amen? Amen. We're reading from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. In your pew Bibles, if you're using that, that's page 200 and page 201. Do you have it? Let us read God's Word. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred Scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Beloved, this is the word of God. Have a seat.
1: Amen. Praise the Lord. Can we give him a hand clap offering? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being so kind to us. For giving us your word in Christ. Now I pray, Lord God, that you will manifest yourself. That you will speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name and the people of God say amen. Amen. I want to preach on the topic, the centrality of God's word for your life and for preaching. For the past few Sundays, we've been preaching through a series on worship. In fact, our mission statement is worshiping God and welcoming all with gospel truth and neighbor love. But how do we do that? In fact, I was listening to this song, being enraptured in this song. How do we become poured out for God? Giving God our bodies in worship has a lot to do with what we do with our minds in worship. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable act of worship, not being conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but being transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Nothing gives more shape and life and vitality to our worship than the centrality of hearing and obeying God's word. Amen? But what does it mean for us to worship God for all he's worth? It has a lot to do with how we listen to God's voice. And as I wrestled through these verses, God gave me a word. If we're going to grasp the centrality of God's word in our lives and for preaching, we have to understand three things. God has placed key people in your life for a reason. Stay with them. Number two, God has given us his word for this reason. Stay in it. And number three, God has given us pastoral preaching of his word for this reason stay under it repeat after me stay with them stay, with them. stay, in, it, stay in it and stay under it. stay under it let me give you the first point god has placed key people in your life for this reason stay with them look at second timothy chapter 3 verse 14 and this these are words from the apostle paul to young timothy But as for you, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Look around you. Who are those key people that God has placed in your life? Think about it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Notice key people in Timothy's life. Timothy grew up in a home where his father was a pagan unbeliever. And his mother, Eunice, was a godly believer. In fact, Timothy as a child received his first God-centered education from the scriptures through his mother and his grandmother. The apostle Paul opens up his first letter to Timothy commending such faith from these women. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, he says, "I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well." I can think of a number of parents in this sanctuary right now who have made a tremendous commitment to disciple their children in the scriptures. I won't do any name dropping. But as we think about discipling in Bible education, it always starts in the home, doesn't it? God commanded his people Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, And shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That's what grandmother Lois did for Timothy's mother, Eunice. And now, Lois, in turn, pours the scriptures into her son, Timothy. Bible education was generational in the home. Amen? And at the service, we're going to witness three exciting baptisms of young people. Who possess faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and have been discipled and are being discipled by their parents. Another key person that God has placed in Timothy's life as a young man was the Apostle Paul. God had placed Paul in Timothy's life to mature him in the faith and in the gospel ministry as Timothy took on the role of pastor. Paul, in fact, loved young Timothy and affectionately called him son. These two men were virtually inseparable throughout the New Testament as they co-labored closely in ministry. Timothy is mentioned in the greeting sections of some of Paul's letters. They served side by side but were occasionally separated as we see in this letter. Second Timothy is one of the most personal, intimate Deeply reflective, emotionally stirring pastoral letters written from an older pastor to a younger pastor. In fact, these were Paul's last words before execution while he's sitting in that dungeon cell. You see, godly parents and godly mentors were at the foundation of Timothy's spiritual development. God had placed key people in your life for this reason. Stay with them. We all need godly parents and godly friends and godly mentors, don't we? You see, God knew that Elisha needed Elijah for mentorship. God knew that Moses needed Jethro for good advice. Joshua needed Moses for leadership. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed Daniel for courage in the midst of compromise. Ruth needed Naomi to find her Boaz. Paul, as a new believer in Christ, needed Barnabas for encouragement. And Timothy needed Paul and solid biblical parents to help grow in godliness and ministry. And as I look over my own personal journey, I can think of several godly yet imperfect men that God has placed in my life to help me along the way. And I'm forever grateful. But the question is, who is God calling you to reach out to? Who are your mentors? Who are your godly friends that God is calling you to pray about and reach out to, to take out for a cup of coffee and ask them to be your mentor? Not only has God placed key people in your life for this reason, stay with them. God has given us his word for this reason. We need to stay in it. Everybody say stay in it. Look at verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. We stay in the scriptures because they're able to make us wise unto salvation. I thank God for Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice and Apostle Paul who were so instrumental in Timothy's life in pointing him to Jesus through the scriptures. And if the scriptures are not ultimately pointing us to Jesus, then we're missing a whole point of the scriptures. If we don't understand this point, The rest of it doesn't make any sense. You see, the apostle, the apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed in order to come to know Christ through the scriptures. You see, the Pharisees were deeply steeped in the scriptures. They were educated from childhood. They knew a lot of scriptures, but they missed the person behind the scriptures. In John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but they are, they are which that bear, bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the God of the scriptures. Not only are we saved by God's word, but we are sustained by God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes, or infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We stay in the Scriptures to point us to Jesus, but we also stay in the Scriptures to hear and heed God's voice. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All scripture. Here is a book composed of 66 books, originally written in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Written over a span of 1,500 years and over 40 generations written, for more, written more by more than 40 co-authors divinely inspired by God from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. But let's never lose sight of the fact, of this overwhelming fact, that the author of this book is God. B.B. Warfield, said that the Bible is the word of God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Wow. See, mankind cannot make this up. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's private interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The phrase carried along is a word picture of a ship being powered along by the wind beneath the sails. The biblical writers were guided in their writings to where God wanted them to go and to produce what God wanted them to produce in their individual personalities. The first time we hear the phrase God breathe is in Genesis chapter 2. In the first creation, God spoke the world into existence and he condescends to the earth and he creates man from the dust of the ground and breathes, breathes into him the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. Now God is breathing new life through his word. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to turn stones into bread to feed himself and act independent of his father, how does Jesus respond to Satan? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of the living God. See, the devil does not want you in the word of God on a regular basis. He will give you plenty of other things to do instead. Yes, our bodies need daily bread to survive, but our spirit needs the daily word of God to survive. Feast on the word of God until you become satisfied in him alone. We need to get in and stay in God's word because the most essential benefit of miming the treasures of God's word is falling in love with the author. The Hebrew writer tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, pierced into the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Have you ever started reading the Bible and found yourself while you were reading the Bible that suddenly the Bible is reading you? That's powerful because the ultimate result of coming to the scriptures is to encounter and live in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we need to get in God's word. God's word reveals the very heart, mind, will, and character of God fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we want to know God directly, we got to get into his word directly. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. For five weeks or five decades, the end result of wrestling through these holy pages is discovering God in the beauty of his holiness and worshiping him. Amen? The scriptures are profitable. How are they profitable? In four distinct ways, Paul lays out in verse 16. They are profitable for doctrine, what is right, for reproof, what is not right in your life, for correction, how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. Let me help you out. All scripture is for teaching doctrine. All scripture is advantageous for teaching, including the census in the book of Numbers and the long genealogies in First Chronicles. All scripture is useful and profitable. What is the very first thing that Jesus came to do when he started his earthly ministry? He gathered a group of disciples and taught them as we see on the Sermon on the Mount. All scripture is profitable for teaching because it tells us how to think biblically. And how we think impacts the way we live. I once heard this quote Watch your thoughts because your thoughts become words. Watch your words because your words become actions. Watch your actions because your actions become habits. Watch your habits because your habits become your character. Watch your character because your character becomes your destiny. It starts in your thought life. I will never forget my Bible teacher in Bible college, Joel, who asked me, this question. In fact, he asked the entire class this question Why do we study the Word of God? Why do we study the Word of God? And everybody began to give their answers. And those answers weren't wrong. But after everyone was finished, the professor said, The reason why we study the Word of God, is because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens or higher than the earth. So far, God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. And his ways higher than our ways. That's the reason why I need to study this book. To get God's thoughts in me. It transforms how we think. To think God's thoughts. And live the way God wants us to live. I once heard that dusty, a dusty Bible leads to dirty lives. And what would happen if all the believers who own Bibles would blow, off, would blow the dust off their Bibles all at once? It would be a crazy dust storm that would declare a state of emergency, wouldn't it? Let me ask you a question. How many Bibles do you own? Do you own more than two Bibles by a show of hands? By a show of hands, how many of you own more than three Bibles? By a show of hands, how many of you own more than seven Bibles? Okay, we're getting slim now. How many own more own the more than ten Bibles? Okay, I need to connect with y'all that own them ten Bibles. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, though, that we can own so many Bibles and yet we don't get into the Bible? Living a word-centered life doesn't mean how many Bibles I possess. In fact, so many people take their Bibles, as soon as they get in their vehicle, they throw it in the back seat, and the next time they pick it up is when they go to church on Sunday. Oh, let me get my Bible. Hold on. Wow. And yet, there are, there are people out there, not, not in this church, there are people out there who have an allergy to Bible reading. And they say to themselves, Father, we know not what we do, and please don't tell us. Sad. Donna Whitney tells us that spirituality, spiritually, these folks are a mile wide and an inch deep. There's no deep, time-worn channels of communion Discipline between them and God. They have dabbled in everything and disciplined themselves in nothing. Remember, God has spoken through his written word and God continues to speak through his written word. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. So it's profitable for teaching, but it's also profitable for reproof. Reproof here means to rebuke or bring conviction. See, the Word of God has a supernatural ability to pierce the hardest heart. It tells you and me when we are not right. And most of the time, we need the Word of God to rebuke us when we get off track. The Word of God convicts us through the Holy Spirit when we are out of pocket or short with people or start smelling ourselves or start start believing our own press clippings. We need God's word to tell us the truth about ourselves. The word of God not only brings reproof, tells us what's not right, but it also is designed to bring us correction. It shows us how to get right, or to set right again. See, the word of God convicts me when I do something wrong, but it also corrects me to get it right. Whenever I get off destination when I'm driving, my GPS kicks in and begins to correct me. Recalibration. That's what the Word of God does for us. The Word of God really brings correction to restore us. James chapter 1 said in verse 22, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. I will never forget the time when I was on my way in my single days. I was on my way to church. I was attending Sharon Baptist Church at the time. I was dressed at nine. I was looking forward to church service, and I knew I had to stop to get my offering from Wawa. So I stopped at, at the Wawa, and I went to the ATM, got my offering there, and I, I stood in line. And as I was standing in line, I noticed this very attractive uh, cashier. She was staring at me, and I was wondering why she was staring so hard at me. You know, maybe she thought that I was very handsome and I was very attractive, or what have you. So. You know, I was just like, I had three people in front of me, and I was like, you know, surely she's going to ask me a question. I know she's going to say something to me. I know she is. So it was my turn to get up to the register, and she said, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, uh, sure. what, what, what is it? She said, um, you actually have a piece of lint ball hanging from your beard. I just want you to know. I said, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Immediately, I got into the car, looked into the mirror, and saw that I had a limp limp ball from my tie that got caught on my beard. And no one in the line told me I had this thing hanging. I felt so embarrassed. But when we come and look into the perfect law of God's word, it not only rebukes us and reproves us, but it also corrects us. And if we are honest with ourselves... We will look into this perfect law of liberty and make the corrections through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why some people stay away from this book. They stay out of it, especially if they're in sin. Hello, somebody. Sin will keep you out of the Word of God or the Word of God will keep you out of sin. Can I get amen? All eyes are going down this way. Okay, let me keep moving. Not only is it good for... Correction, it shows us how to get right. But for training in righteousness, shows us how to stay right. See, it's all about really Christians becoming visible saints. The shepherd leads us in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm already made right through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm justified by faith. But now God is forging his righteousness in the way that I think, and live my life, because his reputation is on the line. It says, so that the man of God, or the, or the woman of God, may be fully equipped and competent for every good work. Pursuing godliness requires rigorous training. How many of you have joined the gym uh, and uh, failed to go back uh, to the gym backslidden from the gym, but be honest, okay, all right, you don't have to be honest. Maybe I'm by myself. I, I, I had a membership at Planet Fitness, and for some reason, I, I just, I go for like a few months, and then I drop off, and I go back, and I drop off, right? So much so that when I was my wife, before she was my wife, we were dating, and she had brought me a t-shirt, and I was really like, why would you buy me this t-shirt? But the t-shirt said this, My gym and I broke up. We just weren't working out. I said, and you know what? I never wore that (laughs) T-shirt. I never wore it because I am convinced in my mind I'm going to get back in the gym and I'm going to work out. I do not want the doctor to mistaken who is going in for for delivery. So uh, (laughs) anyway, bad joke. Paul tells Timothy, bodily exercise profits little. It's good to work out. It's good to get in shape. That's great. But godliness profits holds value in this life and in the life to come. So not only do you have to get into the physical gym, you got to get into the spiritual gym. What's the spiritual gym? Every time I get into God's Word, I'm going into God's spiritual gym to work out my faith. Faith is like a muscle. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So we got the the work out. That's called sanctification. For the scriptures equip us for every good work. It matures us into Christ likeness for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to his son. See, God did not save us to sit. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you used to walk according to the course of this world the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. But God, because of his great love that he demonstrates towards us, he has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For we are saved by grace through faith and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works lest anyone should boast. And then it says in verse 10 that we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece that God created beforehand. Works good works, that we should walk in them. So we were created to walk in good works. Good works are not there for us to earn right standing with God. We work because we're already in right standing with God. Christ has already completed the work, but God did not save us to sit. He saved us to serve. Not only has God given us his word for this reason, stay in it, Lastly, God has given us the pastoral preaching of his word, stay under it. It's very difficult to actually stay in God's word when you're not staying under God's word. In fact, when you study the word of God, what position is the word of God to you? Are you towering over God's word? Is the word of God beside you and you owe equal authority to God's word? Or is the word of God over top of you, and you submit to his authority. And every time we come into God's house to listen to his preach word, we're coming under the authority of God's word in the presence of the Lord. And here's the charge that, get, that Paul gives Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the just, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. R.C. Sproul had a beautiful phrase he lived by to capture the essence of the Christian life. He says to live, quorum deo, is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. See, this is extremely helpful because times when I fail to get into God's Word and practice staying in it, I need to ask myself, am I under the authority of God's Word? My position as a disciple of Christ is to be under God's Word. You hear people say, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church. I don't do that kind of... But I follow Jesus. I I pick my Bible, I, I read and I pray, but I just don't go to church. Okay? So you feel like you don't really need church. I really don't need church. Okay, if you were going to a party, is partying in your heart or do you have to get up and go to the party? You have to get up and go. And if you truly are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to be under the pastoral preaching of God's word. And be careful not to eat from everybody's table. Folks say, you know, I'm staying home on Sunday, and they turn on TBN, and you have some stuff that you end up chewing and digesting that's messing you up spiritually because it's truth mixed with error. This was a serious charge that Paul gives Timothy, but also it was a simple yet profound charge that, got, that Paul gives Timothy. He says, preach the word. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach your personal philosophy. Don't preach what you heard from Dr. Feelgood or Oprah Winfrey. Preach the word. This is where we get into the centrality of preaching God's word, which is at the foundation of a healthy, Christ-centered worship expressed in a local church. When we proclaim God's word in its fidelity, we are keeping the main thing the main thing. Preach the word. So Paul said, Preach the word. In Paul's day, a ruler had a special herald who made announcements to the people. He was commissioned by the ruler to make announcements in a loud and clear voice so that everyone could hear. He was a messenger with a proclamation to be heard and heeded. Paul was called a herald of the gospel. But more importantly, We're not merely speaking on behalf of Christ or even for Christ. When we are faithfully preaching and teaching God's word, Christ is present and his voice is being heard through us. Wow. This is why Paul tells us that in the very next vein, we're going to stand before him one day and be held accountable for how we rep him. Am I staying true to God's preached Word. Not that Paul is drawing attention to the one who is doing the proclaiming, but rather to the Savior who is being proclaimed. Preach the Word. What Word? The Word of Truth. The Sacred Writings. The Holy Scriptures. The Living Word of God made flesh and dwelling among us. Preach the Living Word of God. And when we are faithful when we are faithful to study, obey, and proclaim the whole counsel of God, the voice of Christ is present in his preached word. God's voice is present when we faithfully proclaim his word in the pulpit, in promised kingdom class, in your child's bedroom, at the dining room table, or in the living room with your family. Proclaim God's word and Christ is present in his preached word God has given the local church gifts pastors teachers evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and every member in the church plays their part and all of us are called in some form or another to bear witness to the gospel to proclaim his word and as Paul wraps up this session, here, this part of this section to Timothy, he says, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort and urge them with complete patience and teaching because the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with it anymore. In the message translation or Bible, it says that they won't, they won't have a stomach for solid teaching but will fill up on spiritual junk food catchy opinions that tickle their fancy they turn their back on the truth and chase mirages but wholesome teaching is healthy faithful biblical teaching centered on the person and work of Christ to the glory of God they will develop itchy ears i once heard of a bible professor who asked who was asked to speak to a friend's 20-year-old daughter who at college stopped attending church and claimed that she no longer believed in the fairy tales of the Bible. Rather than becoming involved in a debate over the veracity of Scripture, the professor asked and said, So when did you start sleeping with your boyfriend? Wow. See, the Word of God will keep you out of sin, or sin will keep you out of the Word of God. They will turn away from the truth and start listening to lies. And that's why I believe that God has called us to be diligent when it comes to not only studying but obeying and proclaiming God's word. This is why Risen Hope Church is committed to expositional preaching, preaching whole books of the Bible faithfully, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, expositional preaching and teaching. And as a congregation, we have an equally important role of developing a habit of expositional listening. Which means we have to learn how to study the Bible expositionally, book by book. Digging in all the scriptures to hear the voice of God. God has given us the pastoral preaching of his word. Stay under it. Stay sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he closes out with fulfill your ministry. Paul was not calling Timothy to do something that he himself was not doing. Remember this principle of discipleship. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. When Peter preached the word, 3,000 souls repented and believed in Christ in one day. When Stephen preached the word, there was a radically different response to the word of God. Both were preaching in the presence of God through the Spirit of God, but both received different responses to the preached word. You see, Stephen was at the end of his journey. He was preaching in the presence of God the Father in Christ, and he saw, watch this, the heavens open and Christ standing. Two weeks ago, while I was sitting here in the sanctuary, and we were enraptured in worship, the Lord gave me a vision. It was a beautiful vision of Christ towering over us in bright, burning, glorious presence. And all at once, I was overcome with emotion, and I, I, I as I witnessed him receive our praises, it was a beautiful vision. Somebody said I should have came to the prophecy, Mike, to share but I didn't. I was disobedient. It reminds me of the Lord as he was standing there watching his servant Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7. And the reason Stephen was stoned was rather obvious when we witnessed how he faithfully, And boldly proclaimed God's word under the power of the Holy Spirit. He preached the word and Jesus Christ was giving him a standing ovation. Paul is saying, I'm not giving you something that I myself am not carrying out. Paul's whole life was being poured out to God as a living sacrifice. Poured out for the gospel. He knew his departure to the next life was at hand. Death was imminent. Paul was about to go out of this life with his gauge on empty. What a way to exit. Every spiritual gift God placed in him, every burden he carried in prayer, every talent he used for God's glory, Paul was maxing out. Every book that Paul wrote, every tear that Paul shed, the gospel mission to the Gentiles accomplished, every persecution he adored, Paul was not perfect, but he arrived at the end of his journey and said, I have finished the race, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous does, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who would love his appearing. God plays key people in your life for a reason. Stay with them. God has given us his word for a reason. Stay in it. And God has given us the pastoral preaching of his word. Stay under it. Father, we thank you. We love you and adore you right now. We pray that these words will penetrate the depths of our heart. Take root and bear fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.